Hey everybody, this week's guest is Chris Number 2, bassist and co-vocalist for the Pittsburgh punk rock legends Anti-Flag. Uh, known these guys for ages, uh, great band, great people. Uh, Chris picked a Brandenburg Gate to discuss today, uh, an amazing song. Uh, he talked about being so far away from home in Germany and knowing uh, that his relationship back at home was ending. The Brandenburg Gate being a metaphor, when you're sad you find a connection in everything. Uh, how Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine told them to take the woes out of the song, but they kept them anyway. Uh, good move, guys. <laughs> uh, he talked about how he was unavailable during the making of the album American Spring because he was going through a bad breakup. The band was what ruined everything he loved in his mind. Uh, how Rick Rubin wanted to sign Anti-Flag, which allowed them to pretty much handwrite their major label deal because if Rick was interested in the band, everyone wanted them. Uh, but they ended up going with RCA. Uh, and I also touched on how uh, I was completely intimidated about touring with Anti-Flag uh, for the first time way back in 2000. Uh, I had seen pictures of them in magazines and they looked like these tough Pittsburgh punks. I'm like, these guys are going to kick our ass. But they didn't. We had an amazing tour with them and uh, yeah, 20 plus years later, we're, we're still great friends. So uh, for all this and much more, stay tuned. Hey, hey, have you heard Krista makes a podcast? Hey, hey, have you heard met you guys on a tour in 2000 it was um us you guys newfound glory and the teen idols yeah um and i had certainly heard of you guys uh but uh you know this is kind of 2000 yeah the internet was around but it wasn't like it is today i didn't didn't know uh much about you but i had seen a few pictures in, in uh some magazines uh and i'm like Oh man, our manager remember her calling us, and she's like, "So we're thinking about getting you know anti flag on the bill." And I'm like, "Ooh, I don't know those guys, man. Those they're like tough. They're like tough, like Pittsburgh punks. They're like straight edge. They're gonna, gonna kick our ass, you know." Yeah, yeah. And and you guys just looked, I mean, menacing in your photos back then. <laughs> and you guys show you, you guys show up in Atlanta, and I remember you guys you guys pull up in your van and, and you get out, and I'm like, "Well, they're they're not as big as I thought they were." Okay, that's good. And then, um. I think it was a day or two in, I, I look over, I'm playing and there you are doing the worm across our stage. And I'm like, <laughs> this is amazing. This. <laughs> and like we broke down that whole tour and I was, you know, I was young still. I was, yeah. so I think on that tour 24 and I was like thinking, you know, oh, you know, straight edge people aren't any fun. You guys were like the most fun people on the whole tour. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> We we deal with that to this day where we will go into situations and people have such a preconceived notion of that, you know, oh, my God, if I eat a plate of bacon near them, they're going to lose their minds on me. And, um, you know, we're fun. Um, oh, you guys are the one of the most fun <laughs> bands ever. I, I have nothing but great things to say. I love you guys. You know that. Um, <laughs> but it was just great because, you know, your preconceived notions and touring was still eh, somewhat new then, at least package tours for us. Yeah. You know? oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, that and, was well, and also just like there was, you know, we were dealing with the scenes growing pains at that moment where. Absolutely they were through the roof for everybody. So we had to manage a lot of shit on that tour. You know, like us and newfound glory were flip flopping. They were signing to a major and going to go on to be what they ended up being. And, you know, we had been kind of slugging it out and, uh, uh, you know, finally had said, you know, we were going to, tell people that we were worth something <laughs> and right. not just be basement dwellers. So, you know, we had a, a band decision that we were going to take it seriously. And, and, uh, and that was one of the, you know, that was an affirming tour for us, just in the sense that, you know, we had come off this dropkick Murphy's tour that was really hard and, and not what we had hoped it to be. Um, and then from that, we got the rage against the machine tour which you know was is amazing <laughs> life changing yeah i mean just just the 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 things that we learned there and then it was like yo go back to 
this same type of level that we were doing with dropkick back then but you guys were even bigger than them at that time so we had no idea we were just trying to navigate all of the places we were playing were new to us you know i i love thinking about that tour and thinking about you um you guys taking the lava lamp from the the rave in milwaukee (laughs) because you sold it out and it's just like thinking like like yeah if we sell this out we're taking this lava lamp and i was just like dude that is the most baller shit of all time and uh uh, i you know we were there not too long ago and i i was like i wonder if those guys still have that lava lamp (laughs) well i'll I'll tell you what i'm staring at right now in the corner i i dug it up in my last move and i moved two years ago and the first show on a uh, our tour was supposed to be a couple weeks ago we were starting a tour with lagwag and a mast intruder it was going to start at the rave in milwaukee it's funny you mentioned that i and my drunken idiocy back in the late 90s in the bathroom backstage remember they had all those like tarps up and stuff yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. back there i uh i stole a picture off the wall of eddie van halen and sammy hagar Great. And a frame picture. I don't know why. I was never a thief. I don't know why the fuck I stole it. So anyways, I'm taking that son of a bitch back and I'm hanging it back in the same spot. I took That's it. so great. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and, and it's like none of it was, you know, malicious rock star. You no, know, no. Um, no, it was like literally when the promoter i was back there with you guys when the promoter came down and they're like i think there's like uh 200 tickets left and and i was buddy or you who just was like if we sell this show out i'm taking that lamp and he was like be my guest that's that lamp is yours you've earned it and uh sure enough the show sold out and i remember watching you guys from the floor and and that floor bounces because it's just like floating yeah And it was one of the, it was in, I was forever inspired by it. I mean, you were 24. I I was 18, 19 or yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, the last thing I'll say about that tour and we'll, we'll move on is, is, it was just amazing. It was like the perfect storm, you know. Teen Idols had a buzz. You guys, a newfound glory, just had this groundswell. You know, it was just this thing, and uh, we probably could have done two, two nights in every city. There was people, yeah, there was lines yeah. around the door wait, waiting to yeah. get in, and just the, the energy from that, I'll, I'll never forget it. So when I reached out to Chris uh, recently. He had, uh, you know, I said, you know, I want to pick a song. It's kind of the theme of the podcast. And you came, uh, came back at me with two songs. Uh, this is the end, which I love, uh, and Brandenburg gate, which, uh, we ended up going with. Um, and I just, I love this song for so many reasons. Um, the, the number one reason is, is that I love that you wrote it not earlier in your career in the sense that like, you know, when you write your early stuff, you know, your old stuff's the best crap. You know, we always hear that. Yeah. Um, as a band, the longer you get, this was a song written in 2015 that it's one of your biggest songs. It is, it's so good. I get chills thinking about just standing on the side of the stage and watching you, especially in Europe, people mm-hmm. go ape shit when you play this song. So yeah. let, let's start at the beginning, 2015, you guys, um, I think we're done with RCA. Then you were going to put this out on spine farm, your first release. Yeah. Um, was this song, uh, uh, written prior to this, or was it written specifically for for uh, for that record? So that whole American Spring record was pretty trepidatious for us. So we did um, uh, we did two records on the major, and because of um, that less than Jake tour, uh, we were very popular. No, I just get the the. <laughs> um, we. Well, I was going to say about a year before that record, though, we did tour together again on the Fat yeah, Tour in twenty thirteen. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, so we did we did two records on the major, and uh, we were in a fortunate position where we had a lot of bargaining chips. The greatest bargaining chip we had when we signed to the major was that Rick Rubin wanted to sign us to American, and that allowed us to pretty much hand write our major label deal and um we never knew that that's that's fascinating yeah yeah so it was a big deal and i I mean especially at that time he um if he wanted to invest in something or sign it or work on it every worm came out of the woodwork oh god yeah and uh and so so that's how we ended up with rca because they let us write our own contract and um 
Good for uh, you. So we did a two record deal on RCA and it was done. And kind of a knee jerk reaction to that was the two records we put out on side one. Um, and they were recorded with money that we took from RCA to build our own studio. We didn't want a producer. We didn't, you know, we wanted to go back to it just being the four of us. And that's kind of how it goes when you are, are put through the ringer of having a lot of people involved in your art. The, the antithesis of that is to, you know, we didn't demo anything. We just shout out the songs <laughs> and those two records sound like it. You know what I mean? And, and, they're, and yeah, they're the reactionary records. That's what exactly. they are. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, so American spring was interesting in the sense that it was us then reflecting on both of those experiments and taking the best out of them. Uh, and so what we ended up doing was going back to LA to make a record with a producer and, but we wanted to work with a producer who was younger than us. That was like a prerequisite to the whole thing that we no longer wanted to chase. Um, this we is no Kenny Carkey, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. this is Kenny. We no longer wanted to chase, um, like legends <laughs> and, and and it's okay it's okay that a lot of people make records with with older folks but what we found was we knew how to write anti-flag songs what we were looking for was ways to make them fit within the lexicon of today and so that's where kenny comes in his just that's a tricky that's a tricky art <laughs> yeah yeah because because you know i i want to make i love anti-flag records i want to make songs that sound like us but i also want when they're on a playlist or when they're on um you know sitting alongside whatever is happening right now i want them to sonically stand up and not sound dated as well so absolutely um, so that's kind of where Kenny came from. He was, uh, he, you know, co-wrote that song sale by a wall nation. He was very on the nose of what was happening within the mainstream at that time. Um, but also was a kid from Florida who grew up on less than Jake and anti-flag and loved punk rock. So he was, he was almost more cognizant of being offensive to our audience than we were, which is, you know, I, I think something you should do, you know, like, like I think legacy yeah. is important. And I think that, that, you know, I love, you know, saves the day is one of my favorite modern rock bands because they change their sound every record. Um, but that's challenging for your audience. And, oh, uh, yeah. and, and you, you, it's a definitely a gamble. I've seen a lot of exactly. bands fail at that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, so, you know, we're, we internally go through a lot of discussions about that where Justin, um, really loves to hold on to the structures that were true to the band. I am certainly more open to musical exploration because I think that the politics are the driving force of the band, not necessarily the Sonics. So those are, if we ever have heated discussions as a band, that's that. <laughs> that's what it is. Well, I can relate. We we have the same ones. I mean, it's a very thin line that you're talking about. It's either we we sound like we used to, and oh, they sound like they used to. They they're just cranking out the same old shit. Or you do something new and they've changed. They suck. Yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know, and those are those are tough roads to navigate. And yeah. um, so you know, getting into to Brandenburg Gate, um. What I've also found, and I'm sure you can attest to this as well, is that through your history as a band, you will have, if if you are a collaborative effort, which Anti-Flag is, you will have moments when band members are available and unavailable. <laughs> and so, sure. so for, for a number of reasons, for a number of reasons. And, and so going into American spring, I was particularly unavailable. I had, um, a relationship end that I didn't think would ever end. And, uh, those guys told me to get ready to write a record. And I was like, why would I do this? This is the thing that wrecked everything that I had that I loved. I'm not, I'm not going, uh, I don't see the value in it. And right. Uh, especially if we were going to continue down or stay on the treadmill that we were on, which was, you know, put out a record on side one, do a warp tour, um, you know, keep throw it. Just, just 
it was an endless escalator and it, it, and it, it dim, dim, diminishing returns too. Yeah. And it felt, and it felt like, you know, uh, Xerox copies that were getting worse and worse each time. And so, yeah. um, I re- distinctly remember saying like, unless we are willing to invest in ourselves and have this be another, a tent pole record, um, that we reflect back on, uh, you know, I don't want to do this. And, um, so we talked about how that could be done and what we settled on was let's not, let's not have a record label. Let's go and make the record ourselves. Um, I was friends with Kenny, um, because my other band white wives had done some touring with AWOL nation. And I was like, he is so smart. He's like fresh out of pro tools high where like anything you want to do, he can do. And he's a, like a master of uh, pitch and all of these things that I felt like we really needed to, to up our game. And um, so then it just, the onus was on us to write the songs. Cause we had the way we were going to document it all planned. And we were going to, you know, do that um, Jimmy world uh, model of record the record pitch it to the labels. It will be so undeniable. Someone will want to invest in it. And ultimately that's what happened. And, um, well, I mean, and, and, and let me, let me just say, you know, it's funny <laughs> if, and, and it, maybe it wouldn't have mattered so much at this time because the whole sellout thing, I kind of had passed and, and kids nowadays don't give a shit about what label you're on. They just don't care yeah. anymore. But that was such a huge thing back when we were first you know, cutting our teeth, yeah. your band yeah. and our band. But like, you know, if this record would have come out on RCA, you know, especially a song like Brandenburg Gates, one of the poppiest songs you guys have ever written. The production. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. so clean and crisp. I, I love it. But it's like when you think of, of, of where you guys came from, this was definitely a step in another direction, but it still retained who you guys were. You it's. Know? It's funny, um, and and I'll be a bit more open and vulnerable with you than I am with most people because I know and love you, and this feels like no one else is going to hear it but you. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, um, this is great stuff. I'm a, I'm transparent when it comes to my songs too because I I have nothing to hide with them, you know. Yeah, but we we refer to it as selling the used car um, because. A band, we're called anti-flag. They're never going to play us on the radio. We've had, we took This Is The End to radio and The Press Corps to radio, two of our biggest songs. We took uh, Brandenburg Gate to radio. We took American Attraction to radio. We took um, the newest single off the la- last record, The Disease, was the one where I find, like, they wanted to spend the money again. And I just said, what are you doing? literally it comes across the desk and people go look we try to sell beer and ads for strip clubs we're it's it's (laughs) not you know like this is not the demographic for something called anti-flag and so finally we were able to get them to not waste money on you know i get it where we write catchy songs but like you don't need the radio in 2020 the way you did in 2000 or 94 or whatever you know it'd be great if it happened but it's not a precursor for success or failure and maybe that didn't come into play with your thinking because of what you just said but my question i remember the first time i heard that i heard it live i I didn't i hadn't heard the recorded track i I heard the recorded track after i heard you guys play it and i didn't know what you were saying in the chorus i just knew it was the catchiest damn thing i ever heard i mean seriously (laughs) it's it's one of the i'm not blowing smoke man this is one of the the uh uh greatest punk rock songs just everything about it it's you know i it has tim armstrong on it which yeah it has kind of a a, a rancid feel with with the guitars and the production i mean if this song was on Out, outcome the wolves it would have been a hit for them i'm i i'm yeah. convinced were, were you at all worried about the lyric again i didn't know what you were saying in the chorus and i had to figure it out were you it's such a poppy such a catchy great song were you were you worried about putting out a lyric that was so abstract brandenburg gate as the Mm -hmm. hook did Mm -hmm. did that come into play did you think of that or, or not no because um to be honest again i wasn't thinking in terms of relatability um so the song itself is born out of i was in berlin um have you ever been to the mickelberger hotel uh it's i have not okay it's it's like 
it's one of our go-to spots. Um, it's, it's just, it's kind of a hipster vibe now, but like it's right in Kreuzberg and you could walk to everything. So that's where we stay. And, um, I was at the Mickelberger hotel and, um, this was kind of the moment when I realized that something was detrimentally wrong with my relationship. And, um, I was ready to fly home and quit. We were on tour with Billy talent playing arenas across uh, Germany. And I was like, fuck this. I'm done. Something's something's gone wrong. And um, it's a brutal feeling. 4,000 miles away from I've been there. That's horrible. Yeah. It's the, it, it was the worst. And, and subsequently I've been to this, this place a couple times now. <laughs> and I'm just like, Oh my God, this is I ever. I'm, I'm, brought back to that moment every time i'm there but one of the things that ever when whenever i was told by my partner at the time not to come home um i stayed and the next day everybody tried to cheer me up and they said we're going to walk to the brandenburg gate and so i remember doing all this stuff and i started writing the song and that's where the lyric kind of came from uh and i got i got goosebumps man that's um, cool and it just being this metaphor for, you know, because obviously the history of what's going on in that part of the world. And sure. when, when you are, when you are sad, you will find connection in everything. <laughs> and that's just where I was. I was able to, 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 to put my, and, and like on that tour, while my life was kind of falling apart, we did so many heavy things. You know, we went to Dachau and we, you know, actually did a, a heavy tour of Brandenburg Gate. And so, um, you know, when you talk about that lyric, one of the funniest instances is we had a guy who was working promo for us. Um, and he started with us during the Side One records in the early 2000s or mid 2000s. And we brought him along when we signed to Spine Farm. And I remember playing him the song Brandenburg Gate. And he was like, this isn't going to work here. Nobody calls it the Brandenburg Gate. You're you're using its its English translation. You know, it, it's, I don't think this is going to, you know, I don't know why you guys want this to be a focal track of the record. Here are these other songs that I like better that I think will work with the German punks, et cetera, et cetera. Interesting. And we, and we were in Hamburg and we played it for the first time ever that night and people lost their minds during <laughs> it didn't matter what we were saying because the <laughs> the hook was the hook and i remember he was on stage and i turned around and looked at him in the last chorus and he just gave me a shoulder shrug like okay let's go <laughs> and yeah, I was uh, wrong. yeah and so that was one of the few times we got to be vindicated <laughs> by uh you know, sticking to what we believed in, in the time. And, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the song just, you know, before it gets to the first chorus and, and the band drops out and it's just, a, yeah. just the vocal, which yeah. is just so cool. And then of course it has the whoa, whoa's at the end. And then it has yeah. the whole snare build up in the end when the, the audience just blows up. And so I'm looking at the lyrics here and, and gosh, it's like I said, I got goosebumps a minute ago and I, it, it's just, it's such a, it's such a cool story because you guys are a political punk band. To me, there was political overtones to this. This is a love song about yeah. a broken heart. I mean, yeah. I lost my baby to a foreign war. She was cut down in the gunfire of the Western world. She was living in sin. I was living a lie. She was caught up in the glimmer of a rich man's eye. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, I could tell what that's about, man. There's yeah. some pain there. Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting because you're right. We don't do love songs. And so there became this discussion about the lyrics on, on what we could change to create the political connection, but also keep my personal connection to writing it. And so, um, you know, it turned into this really Billy Bragg socialist anthem, but also about your heart being broken. And so oh, yeah, it's it, great. it ends up uh, even more now. <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. That's very cool. Yeah. So uh, I, I, um, I do know that like, you know, there are a couple cool things that you mentioned in it. Um, the Tim Armstrong thing happened because we, 
we we were just wanted a guest on the record and um we played uh rock fest in montebello and tim was doing his radio show from there and he said to me he was like hey man I know you don't have a label right now. I'd love to, you know, talk about doing some stuff. And, and, uh, and I was like, well, we're writing a record and we're going to record in LA. I would love to just send you some songs and see what you think about them at this time. Like we were kind of like, maybe we'll sign to Hellcat. That'd be awesome. And, um, and then I didn't really hear from him for a while. And we went and we made the record and everything was pretty much wrapped up. And he just reached out again. And so I was like, well, listen, we're pretty much done and we've had labels coming in and out to hear it. Um, and, uh, uh, we've, we've kind of settled on one and we, we, we knew we were going to end up on spine farm. And, um, but I was like, I would love for you to sing on this song because it's got this lyric. She was searching for salvation. And I was like, how cool would it be? To hear Tim Armstrong sing the word salvation on our album. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's got a song named that. Yeah, exactly. And so um, we brought him in and he sang and it wasn't going very well. Um, it was a little bit high for his register these days. And so he started doing, you know, Tim's got like two go-to voices. One yep. that you know and you love. And then the one where he goes low and it's like, oh, that's not as yeah. much. <laughs> right. That, 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 that's when they bury it. And that's when Lars is pulled yeah. up in the mix. Yeah. yeah. And so he started going lo- to that. I love you, Tim. I love you, Tim. <laughs> I know. I love him so much. But he started going to that lower range. And, you know, he was our guest. We didn't want to offend him. Sure. And sure enough, in a moment of pure luck and one could only um, assume is fate, the San Francisco Giants are on TV and they win the World Series while he's doing his vocal takes. He leaves the booth <laughs> to watch them win, comes in with the biggest smile on his face, and that is, honest to God, the take that is on the record is right after the Giants won the World Series. I mean, you couldn't have scripted it better. So oh, uh, that's funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was everything about him was so cool. Like, you know, I had printed out the lyrics, but he didn't want that. He hand wrote them himself so that he was more familiar. It was really great. He came to us to record it. He didn't just send us a vocal. Um, it was all really great. And, and, and then the woes and the snare drum at the end, um, Tom Morello told us to edit that part out, but I liked it, so I kept. He it. did. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite part of the song. <laughs> hey, well, man. I mean, I don't, dude. He, the, the guy. The, I mean, I value his opinion. He sold a, a gazillion more records yeah, than I have. How I could know. you cut out the, the best part of the song? I know. So it was actually a bit longer. <laughs> so we trimmed it down to appease him a bit. But those two, those two mentions that you have have interesting backstories. So I thought, I thought I would touch on them. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Who's wrong? Krista makes or Tom Morello? <laughs> um, so, um, so now you're, you got the track, you recorded it, and now just... Take me back to like you're in the studio and, you know, finally the bass is on there, the the last vocals Mm -hmm. on there and you're and you're you're for real. You're hearing kind of all the faders come up and you're hearing the track come back at you this way and hit hit you in the ears. What are you thinking? Was it like, wow, this is really good or was it just another another album track at that point to you? So 
for me personally, I had heard, I had heard what you, what you hear now was playing in my head from minute one. Um, and so I was really, really sure of the song and really sure of the melody. The thing that we were chasing was the guitar lead for the turnarounds and how do we get mm -hmm. from section to section. And we had a lot of like really simple melodic leads and none of it worked. And Justin in the 11th hour pulled out what's on the record and that 100% saved the song. Um, Isn't that amazing how sometimes someone that, you know, I, I don't know if he had anything to do with the writing of this, but that's happened in our band where, you know, the last minute someone will be like, Hey, what about this? And it just totally took the song to another place. It breathed a, a life into it that just wasn't there prior to that. Yeah. Well, and it was, it was killing me because I had exhausted my mental capacity are, you know, there's probably demos with 15 different. I mean, the section of the song I'm talking about is like two seconds long. Yeah, <laughs> it's just that it's not that, but, but it's such an integral part of the song. Yeah. It's that turnaround. As soon as the song begins that, that, that first 10 seconds and I, and, and I couldn't figure out what the, the melody was. A lot of them were mimicking the vocal melodies and I didn't like that. And then literally it's just like a blues, a very rancidy bar, uh, um, riff. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it saved the song. So I'm very grateful that he didn't give up on it because we were at many stages where we could have. So, so now, the, the song's done. I mean, you've had it in your head you're hearing it back and it, it's just a pretty much what you've had in your head all along. Was there any expectations? Did you, were you like, holy shit, when our fans hear this, they're going to lose their mind. Or did you, did you think it was going to, cause I'm telling you, man, I, I, out of all your songs, that one, just, there's something about it. There's something special. Hmm. I'm so glad that you picked it. I mean, when we did that deconstruction tour over in Europe, um, and, and there's something, so nice because you know in the early days of doing this you could probably relate we, we were all vying for the same piece of pie we all wanted yeah. to be the biggest band we could be we all wanted to sell records we wanted to be successful whatever that meant to each of us and there was jealousies and this and that and it was just so nice i think deconstruction was that was what 2017 we did that maybe oh you mean but punk and drublick was that the was that the punk and drublick ones I'm yeah, sorry. yeah yeah that's yeah. what it was and um i just remember sitting at this club was it was like 2000 people shoved into a space. You could probably fit 800 comfortably. And you know, the condensation is dripping off the walls and I'm on the side of the stage watching you. And I was just so proud of my friends and just watching that audience. I was, and, and again, I marveled at the fact, this is a song these guys just put out a couple years ago. This isn't like their early stuff that, you know, is tried and tested and people have, you know, 15 years of memories attached to this yeah. is a new track. I mean, I, that, that that's that's why I was stoked you picked this song because there's to me that's fascinating how we don't have less than Jake doesn't have a new song like that that's connected we don't yeah and, and that's not a not that's not a knock against us we're mm -hmm. we're always searching for that yeah I I actually had you know uns maybe unsolicited maybe you guys were talking around and I don't I didn't know um but on that tour. Uh, Jr. Um, um, uh, fuck what? Uh, uh, Aaron from Real Big Fish and yourself all at three separate times pulled me aside to talk about because you know our we end the show with American Attraction, which is from 2017. You know, Die for the Government, which is from '96, right. and uh uh brandenburg gate which is from 2015 and so you know the conversation was hey you have songs that aren't quote-unquote classics that you're closing with how did you do that <laughs> and, well, and it's not uh, like you guys got a huge machine of radio or a label no. behind you what, what you've built you know and i know I know your agent uh, did a great job, Sean, who, who used yeah. to we, we used to work with, did a great job, and, and you guys have toured your asses off. Yeah, it, it was really interesting to have that 
happened, that conversation with yourself and, and Aaron and, and JR kind of just separately was over breakfast with you and I think like over dinner with Aaron and just talking about performing new songs and having them connect because it was something we didn't even recognize as being I don't want to say special, but something that was happening in our world that was something others were struggling with. We just knew that, you know, we put out a, f- a handful of records, um, you know, we three records total with Bright Lights of America, People of the Gun, General Strike, where it didn't seem like anything was connecting on that level. And then... Right something had changed with American spring and American fall where uh, people seemed way more open to the new songs and way more open to specifically like Brandenburg gate and American attraction in a way that they were on, you know, the die for the governments and this is the end and press corps and, well, I think there's staples. two. I think there's two things here. The, you're right. The, Kenny did a great job on the production. I think that this was a little bit easier for people that maybe don't like that harder punk edge mm-hmm. to, to to swallow. But yet, it still retained who you guys were to where your fans are still going to love it. So it was kind of the best of both worlds. Because when I was watching the audience, it was obvious that that probably most of these people had had heard the song because I can see them singing it, you know, and yeah. not just kind of mouthing. Some people just mouth along. To, to <laughs> watermelon, try to watermelon, watermelon. Yeah, there, there, there you go. You know? <laughs> but, but there's people singing it. So you know that they've heard it, but then there's also other people losing their shit just because it's one of those songs. We've all heard those songs that just live. You've never, you've never maybe seen the band even, and you he- see the song and you're like, this is electric. This uh, this performance is electric, and that's what that song does to me. Um, yeah, it's, it's just uh, uh, undeniable. I'm I'm super super glad that you picked it. Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, it was born out of a dark place, and and sometimes I mentally go there when we play it, and so I think that that impacts. Um, that certainly impacts the performance element of it in, in, in how much you're invested in the song, which as you know, people that find themselves at punk rock shows have pretty good bullshit detectors and they can, they, uh-huh. they can tell if you're faking it or phoning it in. And um, I think that, that that was an important element of it too, that has, has driven my, um, want for the song to connect. And, you know, what I've found more than anything is just, if we just bang our head against the wall and believe in something and, 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 and present it in a way where that belief is palpable for people, um, they have a higher likelihood of believing in it as well. All right. So, uh, lastly, Chris, um, here's your chance, uh, to let our listeners know what's going on with you. Uh, time to, you know, plug anything that's going on, uh, personally, uh, in your world or with the band, uh, let, Ye- let us have it. Yeah, man. Um, uh, we much like everybody are just kind of hold up in our, in our houses. Um, Pat's wife is an ER doctor, so we don't see her or, or him because she's around, um, patients that have, uh, COVID, um, wow. Justin's dad is 86, so he doesn't want to come in contact with anybody. He doesn't have to. So we're really just kind of isolated. We have a have a, a Monday anti-flag call that happens weekly, and we just talk shit on each other for an hour and then go away. Our, our, ours is Wednesday. Okay, good. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, man, we put out a record in January, so we're greatly looking forward to this all being over when we can get out there and try to share it with people and see – um, see if there are any Brandenburg gates hidden on 2020 vision. <laughs> we don't know yet. We've only played it for a handful of people. So there you go. And, uh, you're also, uh, you've entered into the, uh, custom songwriting world. Would you like to talk about that? Yeah. Um, if you, um, would like a custom song, uh, you can write to me at Chris Dosesongshop at gmail.com. Um, but more than anything, I just want, I actually have like, a a a pretty heavy list in front of me. So I don't want to talk about it too much because I don't want to get too many orders, but um, good for you. It's, it's good. It's good to be busy. Yeah. But I do want to personally thank you because whenever I started it, you called me and gave me sage like advice. And um, I, you know, we've been friends for a really long time, but 
you didn't have to do that. You didn't have to take time out of your day to be like, yo, these can be the pitfalls. These can be the successes. And, um, so I'm, I'm grateful to, to call you my friend, but, um, but I did want to go on the record and let people know that the, um, you are a real, you are as nice as you seem. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that now. And, and, uh, thank, thanks for saying that. I wanted to share it with you. I've, uh, as I told you the other day on the phone, I, I've, uh, I've really enjoyed the connection with the fans, you know, yet, yeah, uh, uh, it, it, it's, uh, you know, uh, Putting put, putting food in the table for for my family in this downtime, but it's it's so much more than that. The connection's amazing, and and the fans love it as well as you do. So I'm really glad you're having success with that. Congratulations! Yeah, and, and the greatest takeaway for me personally has been just my songwriting has improved because much like anything, you're putting in your hours, and you are you know if I was building cabinets for people right now because i've done so many i'd be a pretty good cabinet maker so i think that it's the same thing that's that's happening and i'm 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 hopeful that it'll translate into um the rest of the 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 art that i'm a part of creating yeah i definitely uh think i've gotten better as well i can definitely attest because i've been spending eight hours in front of uh you know the computer staring at a screen playing guitar and singing every day for the last six months it's uh, done me wonders it's it, i can completely relate to that um well hey man thank you so much uh for being on uh and giving me your time i appreciate it yeah um i also want to thank your producer for uh holding it down yes. in, in pittsburgh you know it's it's uh <laughs> it's a great town it's a great town you're welcome to come hang with us whenever you want to do it in person yeah christopher Falios from the band punchline he he's he's the hidden uh the hidden yeah. man behind the Make, making all this happen so thank you chris hey what's up this is blake wyland i'm the host of the tone mob podcast it's a show where i interview guitar people about guitar stuff we talk about their pedals their amps their accessories their preferences all that stuff as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know, where each week I will preview a select band of my choice. Um, if you'd like your band to be previewed on Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. Again, that's bandyoumightnotknow, all one word, at gmail.com. Uh, all I ask for is a good quality recording of a song that you feel best represents your band. Uh, this week's featured band is Not Tonight and The Headaches from Lincolnshire in the UK. Uh, they're a four-piece pop-punk band consisting of Matt Snell, James Elliott, Rob Two, and Matt Cade. Uh, their music is available on all the streaming platforms as well as Bandcamp. Uh, this track I'm about to play is from their second album, If You Were Real, You Do Your Own Stunts. Uh, and I love this song. Here's a snippet of Reasons to Smile. The Wrap with Chris and Chris. Well, that was a great episode, man. And I'm glad it took 12 episodes, but I'm glad you finally got a Pittsburgh guy on here. Yeah. yeah Pittsburgh represent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, for sure. I've known uh, known Chris and the guys, uh, as I mentioned, for for a long time and just uh, uh, always fun. And uh, he was he was such an engaging uh, guest. He, he had uh, a lot of a lot of great things to, to say about this song in particular. It's hard not to like Chris, man. Always personable always uh a great conversation that i have with that guy i love seeing seeing him in pittsburgh him and i were both involved in uh, a couple buddies of mine uh josh bakaitis and Corey muro uh the drummer in punchline uh put on two years in a row they did one year it was tom petty and one year it was paul mccartney uh like tribute shows where people from all different genres of music in pittsburgh get together uh so you get put into bands uh 
with people you wouldn't normally play with and you learn like four songs by that artist and, and play it. And it's always this like big fun thing, uh, not only because you get to play songs, but also because you get to, I don't know, uh, get some camaraderie with a bunch of people from your music scene. And uh, I always love seeing Chris at those. It's always a lot of fun. Which, which, which is funny, too, because seeing him, you know, I, I, I didn't see that, of course, but just thinking about him in that situation, uh, you know, he's such a personable, sweet guy, but you see him on stage and he just is so intense. <laughs> so yeah, screaming sure, his head off, And you're like, you meet him off the stage. And you're, that's why I said, like, the first time that I met the, those guys, I was intimidated because I was like, man, they're angry. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I love pictures. I don't know if you look at pictures of Chris on the Internet, but he's always like, you know, I'm friends with him on social networks. He He's always like 50 feet in the air jumping off something. I'm like, dude, there's no way you jump that high. But somehow, somehow there's all these amazing pictures of him. Uh, I don't know. Maybe the dude is Michael Jordan and just can jump with his base. <laughs> I always, uh, you know, I always envy those pictures where he looks like he's about to uh, slam dunk. But uh, yeah, dude, such a good episode because I loved hearing about uh, the fact that this song is a popular anti-flag song, anti-flag, like the most political band that you could, that'd be like, other than Rage Against the Machine, I think anti-flag would be the first band that would come to my mind when you talk about political band. Yeah. Anti-flag, Rage Against the Machine, Propagandi. And, and yet when you're talking about this song, it's a love song. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. That was so interesting, man. I know you thought that too. I, I did, you know, and and uh, just immediately, just the sentiment of it, the feeling, and then when when he opened up about it and started, ta- you know, talking about everything, it was just like wow, and and it was so cool to be able to, uh, you know, have a love song, but that didn't directly reference the word love or you know your typical uh, boy meets girl, I'm I'm heartbroken type song. You know, it's a very uh, uh, metaphorical uh, with the, the whole with the whole lyric. Right. Hey, you know, and you and I were talking about this earlier today. Uh, it's crazy how love songs, whether it's love, happy or heartbreak type songs, those are always going to be the most popular and relatable songs there are. I mean, before we were born and after we're gone, those are going to be the songs that people love and relate to the most. And I know, you know, you and I, and and a lot of people we know, we're always trying to be like, no, there's too many of those songs out there. We got to write about other things, which is great too. But you know what? At the end of the day, end of the day, it's going to be the Adele songs and it's going to be the, you know, the classic Beatles songs and songs like that, that are going to be the biggest songs ever. And it makes sense because we all go through that. And what better medicine is there for dealing with that than hearing someone sing a song that just expresses exactly how you feel? Well, those songs will never not resonate. The 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 quote unquote love song, you know, they're always and it's not even so much from a, um, you know, love relationship, uh, you know, uh, it, it could be inner, inner family relationships, loss, grief, right? You friendship know, friendships that that you know that that uh are, are still great or went sour um it, it just it transcends all these different things and uh as you said it's just completely relatable yeah it's it's never a bad thing to write about i think the key you know this is a songwriting podcast and i think the key to it is to find a new or maybe clever is not the right word but maybe it is clever way to go about that and not just be generic about it. And I, you know, good examples are like, like death cab, uh, Ben Gibber just writes the most, um, creative ways to express that sort of thing. Uh, whether it's, you know, I, I brought up, I will follow you into the dark is like this sad song, but, but so relatable, you're going to love this person until you die you know but he finds like such cool ways to express that and and you know that's those are the songs that you know people love when you find a new way to say it and it's not just like oh you broke my heart oh you know oh i love you you know not that paul mccartney doesn't have that (laughs) you know that that uh silly love song that that's a yeah pretty fun one but you know i guess once again it could come down you could say something simple 
is as simple as I love you. <laughs> and if you have the right melody and it's Paul McCartney singing it, that could be good too. You know, I guess there's no rule book to it. <laughs> well, yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot of bands that do it great. One I had mentioned to you earlier was Alkaline Trio. They have a lot of that where you're like, you right. know, is this a love song? And it, well, it hits me like a love song and, and whether it is or not, it, uh, it achieves what we're talking about. It just tugs at your heartstrings and, uh, you know, that, I don't think, uh, like you said, before we're born, after we're gone, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that that's ever going to go away. You know, it's just and and to, to your to your initial point, the the fact that uh, Anti Flag was able to, uh, to to pull that off because that's the last uh, uh, type of song you'd think that you would get from them. Right. Hey, and you know what? It's cool too. I feel like we've had guests talk about this, but it's cool when. A song is a love song, but it doesn't necessarily come across that way. Or you could interpret. It. I think it was Jen Pop. I think Jen Pop on her song. Yeah, I was going to say you know, Notre Dame's a great example. You know. Yeah, it's like, yeah, is this a love song? Because I can look at it that way. It reminds me, dude. It reminds me of you know all those Christian bands that like have the songs that like you're like, is this about Jesus or is this a love song? I don't know if you, if you've heard those kind of songs, but there's like all these like Christian punk bands that do that. Uh And I'm always just like, what, what are you doing? Are you talking about Jesus? Or you, you know, it's just like this funny line. Well, we, we, you know, we, we also touched on this with Tim from rise against with savior. Um, you know, there was, you know, I had mentioned to him that, you know, they're another one that kind of, whether fairly or not, uh, you know, cause he said it's kind of a thorn in his side. They've kind of got labeled as a political punk band. And, uh, you know, you could read those lyrics. And once I really started reading them, like, wait, is this a love song? And he was like, well, (laughs) you know, right. Oh Yeah. (laughs) I forgot about Tim. Yeah, Tim's. Yeah, that's very. Oh, man, dude, when people come on this podcast, they want to talk about the love songs, man. They want to get deep a little <laughs> we, bit. And we bring out the love here on Kristen Makes a Podcast. I think I, I, I you're joking, but I think it might be true. Um, <laughs> hey, another thing that I thought was really cool on Chris's episode now was, you know, hearing him talk about working with a producer. I thought it was really interesting. He said like, yeah, we know how to write anti-flag songs. We know how to produce ourselves, but we need that outside perspective to, you know, I I guess he more or less meant it. And I don't mean this in a bad way, but more or less saying like to stay relevant, to not sound dated, to not necessarily, not necessarily that anti-flag wants to sound like what's on the radio or what's popular, but you have to keep up with maybe sonically i guess is the way to put it you want to sound you want your song to sound like yourself but also as powerful as it can be and powerful doesn't mean loud or or thrashy necessarily you you could mean that if you're a country singer and it, you could be writing a ballad as a country singer you, i think powerful is always a good thing i don't care if you're an indie rock band or you're a country singer singing a ballad doesn't matter you want your song to come across powerful and that's how, what i took away from what he meant yeah when they I- worked yeah, I, I I knew exactly, uh, you know what what Chris was was going for there. You know, it's just about pushing pushing those boundaries of your band, pushing the the envelope. You know, um, continuing to want to move forward, um, and uh, still be anti flag, but right. not have the the sound, the production, I guess, uh, sound sound dated, so to speak. And he, you know, had touched on, you know, they they, they left uh, RCA, they made a couple uh, uh, records on their own. And, um, you know, he had just said, look, I, I just I, I want another perspective. I'd like to have somebody else come in that isn't as emotionally attached to these songs as, as we are and is able to look at them uh, outside of the glass objectively and 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 uh, and, and give their thoughts. And uh, that's such a I hate using the word. It's such a mature thing to do as a band to be able to let your guard down and say, you know what? I want these songs to be as best as they can. And it, it may it may behoove us to have, you know, someone outside of the band, uh, uh, you know, take us there. Right. And, you know, I, I heard you talk about this before on the podcast, and I know I had the same experience is like back thinking back to before you ever worked with a producer and what you thought a producer did before you actually worked with one. Um, it, it's it's amazing to get that outside perspective and how much how far that can take your song that you pro- that you maybe already thought was so great. Like, oh, you know, this, what's a producer going to do? I, I remember thinking before I knew, you know, when I was young and before I knew what a producer did, I remember thinking that a producer was just what basically is an engineer. I thought it was just the guy who pressed the buttons and mic'd, you know, mic'd the drums and stuff and, and didn't realize that it like, 
you know, and we've all worked with different producers. There are some producers who will sit down at a drum set. You know, there's some producers who don't even touch the computer. There's some producers I've worked with that just like, will talk to you about the big picture of the song. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways to go about producing. Um, but when you work with a good producer, it takes your songs to a whole nother level. Yeah, you know, I've always equated it. To, it's like hiring a, a personal trainer, so to speak. It's like yeah. you could go work out and do physical therapy or whatever on your own. And then you have someone else come in and go, yeah, you know, those first two exercises you do, you should do them at the end because of this. And you're like, oh, and all of a sudden you just get stronger. You get better quicker. Uh, same thing as a producer. Producer will come in and, and, and just see things that you didn't see. Be like, hey, that guitar lick you do at the top there, like that should be in the bridge. And you're like, what? Yeah, that'll fit over the bridge chords. It's awesome. It should come back in there. And you're like, whoa. And then you do it and you're like, it's something you never would have thought of. And it completely elevated the song at that point. Right. Hey, something I know that you and I talk about a whole lot is like, okay, we're dudes with a lot of experience in, you know, being in bands and songwriting and things like that. And now it's bands and artists that, you know, maybe are newer or haven't been around as much or haven't worked with a producer, you and I can listen to songs. We've talked about several of these type of songs where it's like, we'll both simultaneously be like, oh man, that song needs a chorus. <laughs> that song is good, <laughs> except th- what they think is the chorus is not a chorus. Like you, it's like we have this same wavelength or, you know, little things like that. Or it could be something like, you know, this song needs to go somewhere else. You know, this song is too, it's too linear and streamlined and you need, you need that uh, moment of a breath in the song or something like that. Or, you know, or this band went way too long on the intro. Like, why is there a, why is there a 45 second instrumental intro to this song that doesn't need it? You know, it's, it's, you learn, you pick up things along the way from producers and from learning about things that then you look back at bands that remind you of yourself when you remind you of yourself 20 years ago. And you're like, Oh, some, I wish someone would tell them to do this. And, uh, you know, so I, I, so that, that kind of, kind of leads into how, you know, you've, you've been offering, uh, consultations with artists and, and bands and things like that. And I think that's a really great thing, uh, to be able to uh, share that insight with people and and be like, oh, you know, to take a song to that next level is really cool. Yeah, well, for sure. I mean, you know, a lot of producers, uh, they, they're, they're glorified babysitters. You know, they come in early in the project to do the pre-production. Uh, they're there from the, the, the synthesis of the songs. And that's never been my thing. I, I, that just, I like to get a song in the 11th hour and take it over the top. That I feel feel that's one of my strengths. And uh, yeah, I've been doing a lot of live one-on-one uh, video consultations lately. Thanks to everyone that's reached out. It's great. Um, it could be anything uh, music business related, uh, songwriting collaborations. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll sit across uh, on, on video and, um, you know, uh, you'll bring a song. Actually, I have, uh, I have people uh, email me the song ahead of time. I'll get to listening to it. I'll figure out the chord progression. Lyrically, I'll break it down and uh, we just sit across from each other and, and, and we go through the song with a fine tooth comb. And uh, uh, I've had nothing but but positive, uh, positive things so far from everyone I've worked with. It's been great. So if you'd like more information about that, write me at chrisdemakes at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to love to work with you. Uh, and again, that could, this could be anything music business related uh, to uh, uh, for your band with gigs to social media, uh, etc. Um, and still doing the uh, custom songs. Chris and I are also offering custom songs in animation. Yes, we'll put your uh, your business jingle, uh, something for your family. Uh, we'll do videos for your band. Uh, again, write uh, write us at chrisdemakes at gmail.com for more information about that. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it, Chris. Yeah. I mean, this has been a really great episode, man. I think people are really going to enjoy this. Uh, Anti-Flag's a great band, and Chris Number 2, such a good dude, and I'm glad that we had him on. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, when you listen to – it's funny. When you listen to somebody from a band and they're a super cool guy like Chris is, it makes you like the band even that much more, you know? I, I, I find that, that, like, sometimes – Sometimes you'll listen to an artist and maybe they come off a little pretentious or something. And then your opinion of them, no matter how much you like their music, your opinion like changes slightly to the negative. But with Chris, I feel like, you know, 
it's it's all good. It's it's a positive experience always. Yep, can't say enough uh, good things about those guys. And uh, do us a favor, uh, give us a follow, join the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group. We'd love to uh, to have you be a part, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.